Hey, 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 welcome ladies and gentlemen and listeners of all ages, sizes and beings and forms to another episode of Woody Allen and Jason. I'm kind of happy right now because we made it, James, we made it to the end of the year. We've done so much recordings and I kind of spoiled the intro for James because usually I pass the baton by saying I'm joined here as always by my buddy, and then James jumps on, and you know, I kind of messed it up there. But James, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm happy. I'm really, really happy. And you know, on the one side, I'm happy. And on the other side, I'm not happy because all this news about that super flu going around and its variants and how it's affecting people's lives right now. You know, I want you to end the year in peace. But working in the healthcare system right now is nothing but headache. But you know what? There's a lot to be thankful for. In America, you guys just celebrated Thanksgiving, Black Friday. We're about to celebrate Christmas as well in my Donald Trump race. I don't know why I'm doing that. But yeah, the idea is coming to an end. So I'm happy, James. And uh, how about you? How are you feeling right about now? Uh, I'm feeling good. Uh, I, I I am. Uh, we are deep at work on uh, the animated feature film. And uh, I'm seeing the first footage. And uh, I'm looking forward to showing off more and more in uh, 2022 as production continues on and wraps up towards the end of next year. Amazing. Absolutely amazing, James. And just in case you are listening to, just in case you've come across our podcast for the first time and you see this is a Woody Allen podcast. What are these guys doing? There's no Woody Allen movie. What What are we talking about here? This is Woody Allen adjacent. Me and James Daniel Walsh. James Daniel Walsh, by the way, is an author, a YouTuber, a blogger, and a budding filmmaker. We talk about other movies. We've, we've done Woody Allen. We've had a whole 50, 60 episodes discussing every single film. But now what we're doing is we're discussing films that we see in relation to Woody Allen on, or we find a string to his writing or the themes. We find a way to kind of relate other films to Woody Allen discussions. We make it interesting. And sometimes we just bring up films that just come to us for some reason. At the time of this recording, um, we've had a playlist of about 13 or 12 adjacent movies everything from the ridiculously crazy i love you daddy from louis ck all the way up until last week's episode oh sorry last month's episode where we spoke about the Mayowitz stories with who, who was that starring james who was the, the the actors in that last movie dustin hoffman ben stiller and adam sandler if you missed that discussion we got a playlist of all of our discussions down below. And in fact, I've got two announcements I wanted to bring to the, f- the forefront right now. We have a new link. Like every time I talk about the things we've spoken about in the past and contacted me and James and all this other stuff, usually you have to click on six or seven links. We're using Linktree now. Linktree is a one-click link where you can just have access to all of our details whether it's the playlist, whether it's James's material, James's books, whether it's our YouTube channels. Linktree is a great service, a free service where you can just put everything in one link. So guys, you know, if you want to follow us now, just click that one link, that Linktree link down below, and it will just take you to everything, which is awesome, which leads us to our second kind of bigger announcement, but maybe not so big, that after six years of doing the Woody Allen Retrospective podcast, finally i'm caving i'm being a sellout i'm completely giving in and i've created a patreon yes guys i've heard the cries the cries that nobody made that no 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 one was really asking for it but (laughs) if you want to help and there's there's people genuinely all my bullshit and the joke on the side there's genuinely people who've always wanted to throw in a little tip show some support help us pay the podcast hosting fees or maybe you want to help us upgrade our microphone equipment or do other things because we've got other ideas to kind of enhance the podcast if you want to be a supporter throw us some starbucks money some little change here we now have a patreon the woody allen podcast now has a patreon with free tiers and you know it's just a bit you know, we appreciate the help honestly and it's always about what you can afford now this doesn't mean that i personally I don't like listening to podcasts with ads. I don't have anything against it. 
everyone's got to eat, everyone's got to pay bills. But I don't intend for this podcast to ever really have advertisements. I'm not going to say it never will. I'm just saying that's not my intent. And, you know, the more you guys support, the less likely it is to happen down the line. But as I said online, <laughs> a Woody Allen show and sponsorship, that joke writes itself. That's the part where James is meant to go. <laughs> I missed it. Damn. <laughs> so, look, come on, man. We, we've got a lot of hate for having the Woody Allen podcast as it is. If you want to support, we appreciate the support, but we're glad that you would even consider it. So our Patreon will be in the link tree link down below as well. We thank you for listening to, for all these years. I want to thank James for joining me. James, I think it's been about two years since we started recording together, by the way about that long yeah because it wasn't just the adjacent stuff we was doing we you know i think i had you on talking about woody allen's future what was going on with that then we talk about the autobiography i propose of nothing and then more recently we spoke about obviously rifkin's festival and you know it was a very honest review which i appreciate everyone thought was fair and just cool so yeah I, uh, james it's been a pleasure having you on and that has been a lot of preamble but I just want to say I appreciate you joining. I've loved the conversation we've had. And this episode is really no exception. This is my pick of the month. This is a movie that I've always really been fond of. And in the mixed, in the mix, in the hype of all these romantic comedies, I always thought this had elements that made it stand out. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's really stood out to many people with the masses as a great romantic comedy and i think i might know why so before we get into it you guys can probably already see the title i will let james do what he does best which is introduce the movie talk about the actors and then we'll get into it so james if you don't mind would you take it away today we're going to be talking about the 1997 romantic comedy addicted to love directed by griffin dunn who weirdly was the star of an american werewolf in london <laughs> and uh starring meg ryan and matthew broderick james um just before we started recording you actually brought up something i found very surprising you actually saw this movie in its theatrical release which is awesome i want to hear about your initial your initial experience exposure to this movie your thoughts and i'll let you take it away uh, yeah i saw it in the theater I would have been 17, and uh, I, I think I was going... I, I remember there was, a, there was a girl who was the first girl I ever fell in love with. Uh, she went off with this, this football player and uh, who treated her like garbage. And so I was in a, a fairly... I was in, I was in maybe what uh, people nowadays would call uh, an incel moment, although that seems to be a very broad term anymore uh i think of it more as just that moment that every guy has at some point in their life where they're like what do i have to do <laughs> <laughs> and uh so I, I i went and saw this movie and i i i sort of reveled in watching uh these two characters both try to break up a, a, a relationship that they they didn't think that their exes belonged in and also to get some revenge. So how did it come across to you the first time you watched it? You, you've, all, you've obviously already imparted onto us that you could relate to this movie in a really great way and that probably made you like it a bit. But now you've rewatched it, what's your thoughts then and now? How do you feel about Addicted to Love 20-something years later? Then it was, it was, uh, I, I remember I, I got it on uh, VHS. I watched it several times at home. Uh, it would have been one of my favorite comedies at the time. Now, I, it, it's definitely, it, it, but the, the thing is, I, I completely forgot about it. I, I don't think I've seen or thought about this movie in 20 years. And seeing it now, it's, there's definitely a creepy element to it that I didn't pick <laughs> up on when I was younger. And it's definitely a very conflicted movie in its tone. Mm, yeah. 
it feels almost like it could have been and maybe kind of wants to be this dark r-rated kind of comedy and instead it's trapped in the pg-13 meg ryan yeah typical late 90s romantic comedy kind of a, a movie that said i laughed still and i i still enjoyed it it it's definitely not something that i would revisit as often uh, as i would have in my late teens but it's it's a pretty good movie every review that i've seen for this movie has spoken about well to my surprise if you look on what tomorrow's imdb the scores are middling like it's 50 percent down the middle fives and sixes people say it's a very confused movie just as you said james people seem to feel like the movie can't decide whether it's it's trapped yeah there's a dark core to it which gives it a really unique idea for a romantic comedy but it's covered in all that glitzy silly rom-com stuff that might have elevated it to a higher degree and the thing that always gave me the fondness for the movie is just as you said james i think the idea is quite fresh and it feels like an idea that why hasn't someone ever done this before there's people that have been dumped and broken up with and cheated on why don't we watch a movie about them you know punishing their exes and watching this movie like back in the day when i first watched it i loved it i thought it was funny i didn't think anything was wrong with it and i'd always i bought it on dvd it was sat there happily in my collect collection i love the cover of meg ryan and matthew budget looking at us while the exes are looking at them i thought there was something funny in that as well and i thought it was a very kind of a crowd-pleasing movie but to my surprise a lot of the reviews said especially more the modern reviews said how creepy it is these exes well again we're gonna spoil it guys i honestly you should really yeah. watch this movie because um, we are gonna get into the weeds of it watch the movie please it's a very good movie in my opinion that has its problems especially in today's let's overlook it and tear it apart culture but these the, the, these two people that have been hard done by by their couples for one reason or another basically move opposite move into a warehouse opposite the apartment where their exes live in and they do everything they possibly can to tear them apart to make them as miserable to break them apart but meg ryan and matthew bodrick seem to have two different goals like meg ryan's goal seems to be to make her ex suffer while matthew bodrick's ideal is to win her back by breaking them apart which is kind of pathetic but hilarious at the same time re-watching this movie for me is the definition i was so happy to bring this up in in guys of the woody allen adjacent theme because i think woody allen could have made this movie to absolute masterpiece because the problem i have with the movie is that it's weak i think the characters could be developed in a way with woody allen's script writing and his attention to detail that is just completely washed out in this movie for example i'll be specific meg ryan says that basically the guy her ex used her for a green card by the end of the movie they don't really go into detail into how it was really done they basically tell you more than show you now don't get me wrong you how are you going to really show them and you might have to do it in the flashback but it's not shown at all and it's hard to kind of you know meg ryan just seems like a punk who revels in the pain and there's only one scene near the end where he kind of admits to it but you still don't really see it i don't know my problem with it with not seeing it is that i don't know how warranted what they're doing to them is because just breaking up with someone will make anyone bitter but what meg ryan starts to do is quite vindictive you know and i think that warrants a bit more depth matthew Broderick is just too it's just too vanilla and a woody allen character in the same role would elevate this you so much more because matthew Broderick isn't really funny in the movie he's he, he tries to play this fish out of water, water character that lives in the rural part of america comes to the big city and oh my girlfriend she's so so innocent even when there's a scene in the movie where you hear her getting her brains fucked up he's like oh oh my god he's killing her and i know it's meant to be funny but i'm sitting here thinking if woody allen if this was the woody allen character or a, another comedian to be honest with you there's so many other characters or actors that could have done so much more with this role matthew Broderick 
is a fine is a to be honest he's a good actor i actually think what was written for him for this main character or this love interest is weak it just that's what makes this film doesn't stand out and before i let you say something else james most of the reviews say that the main antagonist or the boyfriend who's stolen his girl he's more interesting than matthew bodrick and watching it again i actually agree <laughs> so to me i think that woody allen's hand in this would elevate a good movie which i think this is to a great one you know i don't know if you would agree with that james no i would i was thinking about that watching it it, it you could even he might have been a little too old at this point but it could have been woody in the matthew broderick part yeah matthew broderick is he had he was in ferris bueller's day off and for some reason kept making movies for the next 35 years that it's in ferris bueller he was like the hip cool kid he was the kid everybody wanted to be and in every movie after that he was the naive mm -hmm. innocent sweet guy yeah and you know i mean he was uh, i think the same year as this or, or around this time would have been the cable guy godzilla he he played that same kind of naive part in all of those movies at the time and here i think it really required somebody who could go darker yes and i i looked at the reviews as well uh from the time and not surprised that it got uh mediocre reviews the the reaction that i had that i was actually surprised by because I, I didn't remember a lot about the movie but i remembered the basic premise i thought it would be cringier than it actually was to me i thought i'd watch it this time and i'd be like oh god you know they're 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 going too far they do a pretty good job in in my opinion of setting up the two exes as being pretty shitty people hmm. kelly preston playing matthew broderick's ex you know they've been together their pretty much their entire lives and yet she leaves for what's supposed to be a temporary job in new york and then has her father break up with with matthew broderick because she doesn't have the guts to actually face him and tell yeah. him which is really the thing that sets matthew broderick off I think if Kelly Preston had said, you know what, I'm going to hop on a plane, I'm going to go back home, I'm going to do this right, Matthew Broderick probably would have, you know, he would have accepted it. It would have been hard for him, but he would have accepted it. Here, he has no closure. He just has questions. He doesn't know yeah. what happened. And so him going off and being as obsessive as he was made some sense like i said he could have gone darker he could have really pointed out how creepy what he was doing was which the movie does a little bit but they make him more so naive about the whole thing that he comes off as borderline stupid and unbelievable i just can't yeah. relate and that's the problem i know they love doing this old oh, this hick from this backwater yeah. part of america you know when he's come to the big city and um, the new yorkers are going to show him why he's a fool and how it really is out there and i just thought to myself it's the late 90s we're getting to 98 now and you're right it doesn't help matthew Bodrick's acting and it, it it just brings it's such it brings the script down it really does because any other again i don't i don't know if i necessarily blame matthew Bodrick because i think from a writing perspective they should have picked someone with a bit i don't want to say a bit more edge but it would have been interested even if they had someone in new york or someone just someone else that was just more just more standards this the 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 i the, 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 the uh it's just so frustrating because my main problem with this film is that i feel like it should be appreciated more but at the same time i understand why because it's just too weak and what brings it down i mean at the end of the movie i'm going to jump ahead a little bit even when he confronts he finally confronts his girlfriend with the truth there's a scene where she's hitting his chest like, oh you upset i'm like he aren't you mad through the whole there's even a, there's another scene where he's watching her 
and she looks right at him and doesn't even notice him. Uh-huh. It's only like for 10 seconds, but he can't even believe it. Like, And I just think to myself, it's not realistic how naive and un- unfeeling he is. It, it just really doesn't seem like he feels much except for... He's like a puppy. He's like a dumb puppy. And it's just... I think it just really brings it down. It really does. And I'm just like, ah. Oh. And just opposed to that, the Anton, who is the, the boyfriend, who's his ex's new lover, he has a speech in this movie I think is interesting. Where I was like, this is kind of funny. This guy has got charisma. I mean, he himself, if I'm being honest, is he bad? Is he actually a bad guy? Let me play a clip of a conversation they have, I think one of the better parts of the movie, which made me think, you know what? I understand why the reviews say he's interesting. Let me play this clip. Can I ask you a question, Anton? Sure you can. How do you like America? Why do you ask? Well, you're French. Do you ever miss it? Do you ever get lonely for your own country? You know, I was never so much French since I've been here. You know Superman? Yeah. That's me. I'm Superman. (laughs) (laughs) And France was like Krypton. You know, on Krypton, everybody was Superman. You make a nice sauce. Everybody make a nice sauce. You say hello to a nice woman with your French accent, and everybody says hello. 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 But here, here on Earth, the moment I arrived, I knew this was a place I had special powers. I talk about my little town and the bankers open their checkbooks and say how great, charming and exotic you are, Anton. I could read the phone book to a woman and they become hypnotized, wet as morning daisies. Here I have these powers. Back home I was nothing, but here I'm Superman. <laughs> hip hip America! Hip hip, hip, hip land of freedom! Now you, you're not French. But it's okay, you know, you still have opportunity in this country. Yesterday, he had no job, no future, but today a step up. A little step, but a step, you know. Soon you can afford a place to live and get a girlfriend. I have a girlfriend. No, really, he has a girlfriend. Pretty girl? She's the most wonderful woman in the world. Wow, she must love you a good deal. You think women only want men for their money? No, not just money, power also, and success. Don't fool yourself, dishwasher. They want a man who takes what he wants. I don't think that's true. Listen, my girlfriend was seeing a man when I met her. I took her back to my place and I asked her about him very innocently, of course. Of course, yeah, she had many wonderful things to say about him, how nice and devoted, how gentle he was. So I started to probe in very subtle ways about how strong, powerful and successful he was. It was very good. (laughs) In no time, we were lying together on my couch. I think, I think she wanted me to force her away from him. You could see it in her eyes. She wanted the battle. She was crying too, but she was kissing me. Later, of course, she came like a rocket. I mean, <laughs> watching that scene back in my youth, I thought, this guy's an arsehole. Watching it now, I'm like, this guy's got a bit of charisma. A lot of the things he's saying, I, I can see his point and I mean, apart from taking another man's woman, which is shitty, I mean, she was the one that cheated technically. So I'm kind of like, I'm looking at Matthew Bodrick's character like, dude, you know, you just, this is this is real life, man. You just got outmanned, you know? So I found myself saying, I like this Anton guy. If I saw this movie from his perspective, from him coming to the country and, you know, being with Meg Ryan and then trying to, well, I'm like, there's a lot of meat on this bone that this movie could have came at it from different perspectives. I know I'm, I know I'm going a bit deep here, but even a TV show from all their perspectives, very interesting. Anton, Meg Ryan, Matthew Broderick, not so much Matthew Broderick's girlfriend, but I'm like, this is this could be really interesting if done right. And just that little scene you see with Anton and another and another two scenes which I'm not going to play, I felt like he came across very charismatic much more interesting than Matthew Bodrick, who I'm spending 80% of the camera time with. And I'm like, yeah, I can understand that. If the antagonist is more got more charisma than your protagonist, one of the main characters, then yeah, 
it makes this film seem a little bit confused. Well, the, the problem is to me that Matthew Broderick is so weak that if this had been a different actor, if this had been, I'm trying to think of actors from, from that time, if this had been Jim Carrey, if this had been Vince Vaughn, they would have had charisma of their own. Yes. And, you know, maybe the what the French guy was saying, you know, he, he's, you know, I'm French, and so they think I'm exotic, and they think I'm whatever. That could have been played up more. The, the thing that I think struck me about this movie is that you could have changed this by making them all in their 20s. More immature, more obviously immature. Yeah. You know, Kelly Preston leaves because this is her first time in the in the big city and she's excited and she's young and she wants to have this experience and she has you know been in the same place and with the same guy her whole life matthew broderick uh you know he's young and impetuous uh, uh meg ryan is is you know young and hot-headed and vindictive anton is is young and and you know really sowing his wild oats Instead, they're all people in their mid to late 30s. And so when you look at all four of them, you're like, why are you acting this way? Mm. Why are you all being so immature when you are clearly grown ass people who should have more life experience under your belt? Meg Ryan, at least, I'll disagree with you on Anton. Anton was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that hasn't changed for me like uh I, I definitely see again how he could outman matthew broderick but he he cheats on kelly preston oh yeah i forgot about that that like, i completely forgot they brought it out of him yeah my bad yeah, they, they try <laughs> to set it up like they're framing him but then he turns out he really did cheat on her yeah Oh shit! I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, the and you know he he steals Kelly Preston away, kind of just for the sport. True. Like you True. don't get the feeling that he did it. You know, he you you get the feeling at the end that he really does love her, but in the beginning it was just a game for him. True. So he's not somebody I ever really sympathized with, even at his lowest moment. I never really sympathized with him. But then again, I didn't really sympathize with any of them no uh i i thought that uh you know you're you're the weakest part of this movie is matthew broderick replacing him with somebody else and just embracing that you're making a darker movie would have made this work better instead it feels like they're still going for that quirky sleepless in seattle typical cute meg ryan movie yeah but you know she's at the same time playing it like she's yeah she's riding a mo motorcycle she's a tough girl little meg ryan she's still acting like meg ryan from every other movie but we're supposed to buy her as tough i notice in the script they throw some edgy lines and try to like say them very quickly like in that last clip i played he actually said, I made her wet like daisies. You yeah. know, there's another scene where Meg Ryan is talking to Matthew Broderick and she says something like, you know, she's he's going to shoot his semen at her all across the way from the room or something like that. He'll he'll make he'll make her come so much, her, her his semen will be all the way across the room. Very raunchy. Yeah. Another scene where her, uh, was it her grandma comes to see her and then uh -huh. she says, your tits are really flat. What happened to your tits are like <laughs> little rocks. But yeah. she kind of says it under her breath. And I'm like, I feel like, like you said, James, I feel like the script really wants to be raunchy, but maybe the Hollywood sex, like, we need this to be, you know, PG-13, so, you know, we can sell more tickets. And Well, the, the executives were uh, the, the Weinstein brothers, so they wanted it to be family-friendly because those guys are all about that. So. <laughs> oh. God, I don't know whether to give you a round of applause or boo there for that. <laughs> right, let me let me just go for this. Giggity, giggity, goo. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, James, let me ask you a question because 
I feel like this movie is so prime. And look, I don't condone this because I know people are going to be like, oh my God, they're going to, oh, I'm rolling my fucking eyes. This whole Hollywood system is about remakes and reboots. I think this is prime for one, but one series, a modern series, keeps coming to my mind, which is Matthew Broderick's character twisted to the darkest extent to this extreme in a similar vein, taken all the way to level 11. And that is, are you watching the series on Netflix called You? No. Have you ever watched it? No, I haven't even heard of it. Really? Oh my God. (laughs) So You is a series about a man who basically falls in love with women and becomes obsessed and he becomes a stalker and he becomes psychotic and he does anything he thinks he's the hero in his own story and he uses social media he does all this crazy crazy shit with great narration and that's the kind of darkness that would have made this movie a classic now i actually think that series you is a little bit too dark and this movie never would have attempted that but what i'm saying is if they were going to reboot this movie into a series which i think this could be a series with three characters told from three different perspectives or just some fine a netflix movie is fine as well just a lot more darker just lean into the dark edge of two jilted exes really getting revenge and going too far and guess what they don't get together in the end because they disgust each other they realize they're going too far i mean there's a lot of ways they could take the story now going forward with i'll get to meg ryan in a minute going forward with the woody allen aspect and what i think woody allen would have done you know i think this is such a perfect woody allen vehicle because i think the comedy between two actors well not him and diane keaton because they're too old but i'm just saying just an alike version of those two characters which which is what Woody always does he gets characters like himself and another female actor to play off each other going over you know after two exes with the and one of the things I really commend about this movie really impressed with is the set I love the set design of using this uh well not a warehouse it's a building a condemned building under construction but then using this uh telescope to used as a kind of a film reel to reflect on the war i thought that was great i thought visually that was fantastic i thought the fact they were dubbing over the characters it was like a movie watching the movie and uh, meg ryan and matthew project were having fun with it i thought this is a genius idea it's a great narrative they play with it a little bit and they use it for gags which is really great and i think it again woody allen would have definitely used we've seen Woody Allen in that movie a midnight um is it a midnight sex comedy where he's playing with all them gadgets in the uh-huh. that, that far away I forgot what it was little farmhouse or townhouse or whatever he yeah. was playing with gadgets it makes me think of Woody playing with gadgets playing with the characters and I'm like yeah I could definitely see Woody working with this but with his depth with women and writing a much more realistic story because he always goes a little bit deeper they're not just two-dimensional they they're coming from a, re- a more realistic place even if it's a place of slight privilege, it makes it very interesting, which is what Meg Ryan and to me, Matthew Bodrick are missing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of uh, uh, his relationship with Julia Roberts in Everyone Says I Love You. Yeah. He's he's playing kind of a creepy stalker guy Yeah, in that. And yeah, he could have added a... You're right, Matthew Broderick's not funny in it. At all. Uh, Anything he does that's funny is really in relation to another character. He's never funny just on his own. He didn't make me laugh once. No. Meg Ryan did. I've the rest of them... I've got a clip for her, but I'll play it in a minute. I'll let you finish. Finish your thought. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I like I said, it's it's the only way to me that this works with the cast who are the age that they are is if it had just gone for it. If yes. it had just been, it's funny because there were a lot of darker comedies at that exact same time, and that exactly. and they were coming out of Miramax. Exactly. And why they felt like th- this could have been like Swingers, this could have been like Chasing Amy, this could have been like uh, you know a, a lot of smaller budgeted movies. But once they got Matthew Broderick and Meg Ryan, they had to make the 
standard PG-13 romantic comedy. I was just about to say, Kevin Smith directing this movie, although I think it would have been a lot more dialogue-driven because Kevin Smith loves his dialogue, I think it would have been great as well with Kevin Smith. That's another good yeah. director. But they, you know, the, I mean, again, some of those comedies also, Chasing Amy didn't age well. But the modern interpretation of this doesn't bother me because you can look at it and you could say, oh, you know, Matthew Broderick is toxic in it, whatever. I always look at a comedy or really any movie based on when did it come out? And when this movie came out, it was just a high concept comedy. And you weren't supposed to take it seriously. Mm. Also, too, the movie does acknowledge that Matthew Broderick and Meg Ryan are fucked up. Yeah, It's not saying what they're doing is justified. It's not saying that, you know, they are healthy individuals by any means. But at the same time, if you had really gone for it, if you had really made that darker comedy, this could have been a classic. And instead, yeah. it's a pretty minor movie yeah yeah and i can't hate people like when i read the reviews and see the critics i'm like i agree with you it's a middling movie especially by today's standards i think it's well at the time it came out it deserved to be higher looking at it now in the midst of what people are doing now with comedies it's very like matthew bodrick is just too implausible not funny not a good fish out of water guy and yeah I, I completely agree with you it's very disappointing but as i said and again don't shoot me for saying it if you want to talk about properties that are ripe for rebooting i think this movie would be a great netflix reboot movie i've watched a lot of shit christmas rom-coms that netflix have just doled out with no thought behind it with no inspiration i think a movie about two jilted lovers sorry two jilted exes that kind of want revenge and they're watching and they're stalking it's it's cool and again there could be more social commentary they could make it a little bit more thought-provoking yes that's the things you could take advantage of but i know nobody thinks about addicted to love now that's a property they need to reboot i know that no one's asking for that i'm just saying i think it could be good and that was my main reason for picking this movie for its pure potential it's pure potential it's quite potent, but you know, I'm I'm sure people agree with me and just say, no, that movie's just whatever. Why are you talking about this movie? What could be interesting too, if in some sort of a modern remake, is Kelly Preston breaks up with Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick goes and starts spying on her. But Meg Ryan, maybe Meg Ryan isn't the ex of Anton. Maybe she's somebody that Kelly Preston also hooked up with. Hmm. So she wants to destroy Kelly Preston. Matthew Broderick goes along with it because once Kelly Preston has been destroyed, he can get her back. That's another good angle. Yeah. You know, you could do that now and that might be a thing where people go, oh, well, of course, you know, she's uh, gay and whatever. That It'd be a more interesting angle to me in that they both basically have the same goal, but they're going about it completely differently. And maybe even play, like, Matthew Broderick's like, yeah, I'll help you destroy her, when really he's just plotting to get back with her. And Meg yeah. Ryan's like, you know, they're, 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 they're playing each other a little bit more. Something messier. Something that's not quite so neat, where they're all really cute. That's that's maybe the 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 biggest detriment to this movie is the word cute. Yeah. It's too cute. Yep. Yep. Uh, it, yeah. It could have been grittier and darker, and I feel like at some point I would bet that this script was darker, and that then they were like, "Oh, we got Meg Ryan. All right, rework it." Let's make it PG thirteen. Let's make it. Uh, let's make them more uh, likable to the audience. When maybe in the original script they were much more messed up. Now, don't get me wrong. I found an interview of Meg Ryan. He was interviewed by um, a female journalist, and the interview wasn't 
it wasn't great so that's why i didn't get a clip from it but she did say this appealed to her because of the script because it was darker because as you said at the time she was in the midst of making so many back-to-back rom-com sleepers in seattle later on she would, not even two years later she would make uh, you've got mail um which again i, I actually like you got mail to be honest with you but that's because of the dialogue um <laughs> but yeah she wanted a break she actually thought this was edgy but this stuff feels watered down but i'm sure when everyone saw meg ryan take off the motorcycle helmet with the mascara on and you know being such an arsehole and then when she explains why green card i'm like okay that is kind of fucked up but that's the thing that sold me about the, the again anton again when she falls on the floor when she, she falls on the floor and she has to listen to him and he has that moment again the actor playing anton which i'll get his name in a minute he talks about how he couldn't love her and here's the thing i shouldn't but i actually felt sympathy because of his acting that's what i was like wow once again why do i care more about this guy than fucking matthew Bodrick? because yeah. the actor <laughs> is really selling me on this shit well and that that is an interesting angle that he didn't love her it wasn't like oh i really did love her but it didn't work out or she did something it was like no yeah i was using her and i feel i felt shitty about it but that's the way it was that's that's pretty interesting that's what i that's why i said you know what watching it again i'm like this guy's a three-dimensional person he doesn't really lie he uses, you know, he's slimy and he admits it. And he's and he was the one that made me laugh the most in the movie. He was the one. When he was in that cast, I know it's so dumb. When he was in that cast and he was itching and he was begging, I was fucking uh-huh. hilarious. <laughs> that was still hilarious. I know it was an easy physical gag, but it was funny because his face, he didn't overact in that part. So he, it actually came across as this guy has lost it all. And when he Again, when he met Matthew Broderick in the street and he said, I've lost everything, I lost my wife, I'm just in love. And then even Matthew Broderick, it's, you know what? Here's the Meg Ryan clip I was going to play where even Matthew Broderick feels sorry for the guy who stole this girl. Maybe I shouldn't have hit him. He's just in love. He's just in love, the same as me. Define love. Why? Because every other word out of your mouth is love. And I'd like to know what it is, this magical idea of yours. Define it. Well, I don't know. It's like, like all your life, you you walk around with this feeling of emptiness in your stomach. You feel completely hollow. And when you're in love, you feel not hollow. It's like without it, there's nothing. A shell. A cavernous emptiness. Forget it. You can't define it. When I was a kid, my father had this dog. It started to get all weak and sickly, so he took it to the vet. The doctor examines it and says a maggot must have laid eggs in the dog's butt. He says there's not much they can do. The baby maggots have crawled up, and now they've started to grow, and eventually they're going to eat the dog alive from the inside out. He says it should be put to sleep because it's an old dog anyway. The father won't do it. He takes it home. He puts it on the bed. He starts to reach up into the dog, just picking out the maggots with his fingers one by one. Takes them all night, but he gets every last one. That dog outlived my father. That's love, Sam. You're not that tough, Maggie. I can tell you're not that tough. And you can pretty much forget about a career with Hallmark. You know what? That was probably the funniest thing Matthew Bodrakowski said, because that's true. But, you know, lines like that in the script made me think, yeah, this is a darker movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And you could, t- I just felt like they kept on watering it down to make it more pliable to again the meg ryan fans i watch all those great lovely lights 90s movies that meg ryan's done rom-coms and just thought nah we gotta ride that balance so what you end up with is a movie that kind of sacrifices its edge and instead it just feels like an a romantic comedy that's got a little bit of a twist to it which is a shame because again i think on the whole it's a decent movie, you know? It stands out above the rest, but even you admitted it. You watch it in the theatre, you have thought it was a good movie, you haven't thought about it in 20 years. And that pretty much sums up what a lot of people said about the movie, 
which I think is a shame. But I'm happy to talk about the movie as a movie I would recommend to anyone to see the 90s, see something slightly different. But for all I know, someone listening to this right now might be thinking, no, I've got, I can think of three other movies with exes getting revenge on their partners that's done way better. Hey, man, if that's the case, click on our Linktree link and let us know. (laughs) But for now, I will say that, yeah, it's ultimately... I can't defend this movie anymore as much as I used to in the past because it doesn't hold up because it's it holds itself back on what, as you've said many times, feels like a darker story smothered in pff, rom-com soapy sauce for yeah. the masses. And because of that, it's mostly forgotten. Yeah, it just plays it too safe. I mean, right up to, you know, at the end when Kelly Preston finds out that, you know, what Matthew Broderick and Meg Ryan had been up to, she goes right back to Anton. Perfect. But he did cheat on her. That wasn't something that they made up. That actually did happen. Yes. You get the feeling like, again, almost feel like if, let's say it was Woody Allen in the Matthew Broderick part. Mm. Woody, of course, would probably still have a, a, a younger actress. Mm-hmm. Maybe Woody was a teacher. Maybe he was an astronomy teacher. And this younger, you have to be even maybe younger than uh, Kelly Preston, maybe somebody in their mid to late 20s, was his student. And they had been together for a few years. They don't play, they play Kelly Preston as somebody who is, you know, she even says a couple of times, well, I'm nuts. But she doesn't really do anything to show that. You know, she just, to me, came off as kind of pathetic. If it had been a an actress who was younger, you'd go, she's naive. She got taken in by this French guy. Uh, you could have even, you could have gone really dark with it. Maybe Anton, well, I, that may be the only part where they really kind of got it right. You're You're right in that Anton... I still think he's a piece of shit. I don't sympathize with him, but <laughs> he is the most interesting character in that that's the one character that remains kind of dark. He's not, you know, he was using her in the beginning. He did cheat on her, but he is in love with her. And at the end, he's really broken up. But the thing is that they play it like it was matthew broderick's fault what happened to him and not it was a consequence of anton's actions and you could have just had none of them end up together at the end yes yes and yes you know kelly preston finds out what happened but anton really cheated on her so she doesn't go back to him and Matthew Broderick and Meg Ryan, you think they're going to get together, but they both look at each other and they go, I don't like who you are. Yes, exactly. Agreed. Yes. And the movie didn't have the guts to really go for it in that way. And at the same time, I mean, we both spent most of this time criticizing the movie. I didn't hate it. I laughed quite a few times. Yeah. I enjoyed it while I was watching it. And now I will not think about it again for about 20 years yeah. <laughs> until somebody brings it up to me. Yeah. And I'll go, oh yeah, that movie. Yeah, there's no there's no Blu-ray release of this, James. And that's for a reason. Because again, widely people forget about the movie. And I do, just in case anyone is going to say this in YouTube comments, I'm going to be negative and then just address the elephant in the room. I personally think Kelly Preston is the weakest link in this movie she gets no real character development as you said in the beginning she just leaves matthew bodrick we hear from anton how he seduced her when matthew bodrick has that talk with her in the end you don't even hear them talk she's angry at him doesn't apologize you don't see him apologizing you get no well again i blame the writers for this as well she isn't developed at all in any way and she probably forgives anton because obviously she goes back to him in the end and you don't hear anything from her terrible writing and poor writing and any feminist probably watches movie now would say she is garbage and yeah. she is she's just very badly written 
Now, the actress, Kelly, Kelly Peston, I have nothing against her. I'm very well aware she passed away 2020 of cancer. Very sad. You know, she, done a, she worked in TV here and there. I'm sad to say, and I'm not bringing this up to disgrace her in any way. When I went on her IMDb, I noticed she had two awards. And I was like, wow, what is she awards for? And Jesus, I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I honestly felt kind of shitty. But I'm going to say it because it's out there publicly. She was actually double nominated for a Razzie with John Travolta twice. One for Battlefield Earth and one for Gotti more recently. So, and she was married to John Travolta too. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, what a, what a coincidence. She was married to the guy, got two horrible Razzies for two notoriously bad movies. And I can't even praise it in this movie as well. It's like a trifecta. So, you know, rest in peace to Kelly um, yeah. Peston, but this movie did her no favours at all, which is a shame. But again, the character can be saved in the reboot if they ever, yeah. ever, ever do. But if yeah, you want to see, a, if you want to see a funnier movie with Kelly Preston, watch Twins. That's a that's a funnier movie. Awesome. Is she Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife in that movie? Yeah. Ah, yeah. I knew I remembered her face. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. This movie didn't do Kelly Preston's character, not actual character, any favors as well. So, yikes. But yeah, the main the, now the guy we praise the most in this movie. Uh, movie whose name is very hard to pronounce. I'm gonna, is it, I think the T is silent. Is it Cheki Cairo? Cario? Something like that. I, I wouldn't <laughs> be able to pronounce it either. Who I didn't, I couldn't, I, th- I kept watching it going. I don't know. Again, I hadn't seen the movie in so long. I, I remembered a French guy and I just assumed from the time period it would be Gerard Depardieu. But um, when I was watching the movie, I was like, who is this guy? I know this guy from yes, somewhere. Yes, same, same as and me. And then I was like, finish it. Yeah. Bad Boys. Yes. He was the villain in Bad Boys. <laughs> yep, yep. The first Bad Boys. Good villain too. Yeah. Good villain too. On YouTube, you can find a compilation of all his villains. I've watched a compilation of all his villains roles. He is that foreign villain. So, I, I think he's great at what he does. In the UK, he did do a very well-received series called baptiste which i think is a remake of a previous series but he's a very well celebrated actor he's been working super hard uh, i think he won a um he won an award for nikita the old 90s show i think that was a french show as well but yeah, he he is a very well respected actor you know he's a very serious actor and that when you watch him in this movie he shines absolutely he is like like you said i didn't like his character but i also I didn't feel I needed to like his character. Yeah. Like with Matthew Broderick, where I did need to like his character, and yeah. I didn't. I did identify with him. But the thing is, I identified with him when I saw the movie because I was 17. Yeah. And I was immature, and I was like, yeah, that's what I would do. And now, being the, more the age Matthew Pro- Broderick probably was when he made the movie, I'm looking at it and going... Dude, you got a great job. It looks like you own a house. Get on with your life. What are you what are you doing? And it again, if it had been somebody 25, 26, I would look at it and I would go, okay, he's immature. And by the end of the movie, he he figures out that what he did was immature and everything. When really when Matthew Broderick figures it out at the end of the movie, I'm just like, you should have known this. The entire time and the only thing that saves it like i said is one the way kelly preston broke up with him and giving him no closure and, and being such a chicken shit the way she broke up with him but they also play him as such a rube that you go okay this guy has no life experience yeah and he's reacting this way because he's a small town hick and that just it's not interesting it's cliche and by the end of the movie i never would believe that meg ryan would want to be with him do you know what but the actually there's another element i do want to praise about the movie which i thought was interesting as well a lot of the time in the 90s and 80s when you'd watch these romantic comedies or this romance films they would always save the sexual encounter uh, for the two main characters to near the end to you know the last kiss scene before 
the the curtain close comes the credits roll but in this they they're so <laughs> disturbing that they you know the one of the most i think one of the scenes that always stuck in my head about this movie is where they physically pretend to be their exes yeah. where they dress like them and actually have sex pretending they're them which is very dark you know but obviously that's when their actual feelings start to mix and they start to build an actual rapport and love for each other and meg ryan to her her, her acting chops showed out in one scene to me just from a observational point of view when the grandmother came to see them and they went to a cafe and they had to pretend to kiss and you could see the emotion in Meg Ryan's face when she was kissing him, realizing that something else was going on. And that emotion on her face, I thought that was done really, really well. So I was just like, you know, Meg Ryan, she, she is, I think, a talented actress that needs better scripts. She's always yeah. need better scripts, always. And later, I, I, honestly, I've watched some Meg Ryan films in, like in the late 2000s where she tried to get edgy, uh-huh. <laughs> it really was a train wreck that like, oh my god you just went the other way with that shit and it was bad the the edgiest that she was ever uh, like in her prime and it worked was in the doors yeah otherwise yeah i i know that period of time you're talking about she did some movie that was like a basic instinct ripoff but it was correct. 10 years too late correct and uh yeah she she was a very talented comedian, but not really, I think, all that talented as far either that or she just picked really bad scripts when she tried to go more serious. Matthew Broderick, and I don't hate Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick is one of those actors who, you know, I see him, he's a little bit like Keanu Reeves, less charismatic than Keanu Reeves, but definitely, you know, I don't think of him as being a particularly good actor but i don't Keanu reeves has now found his thing yes you know he's john wick now and he's awesome as john wick <laughs> he's <But> a legend <laughs> matthew Broderick. after ferris bueller the closest he ever came to finding his thing was doing producers and he was very good in the producers and playing the musical comedy and he could sing and he could dance but he's that's still him playing that naive innocent character who you kind of roll your eyes at because he's so milk toast and for the guy who his the the thing he'll always be remembered for is ferris bueller Definitely. and he never ever really figured out how to capitalize on that in a way that worked and this could have been that movie where maybe he's just a more grown-up version of ferris bueller yeah and he knows how to play these tricks and he knows how to spy on her and make it interesting. And instead, you know, this is, it, it, it's, it's rough for me because, you know, I don't think, and I know this has become a, a dirty word to, to say this, but I still believe in the nice guy, mm. you know, now that's a thing that you say it and you're like, Oh, you fucking, toxic incels who all think they're nice guys there are guys who are just nice guys and they look at a girl who goes off and she's with somebody who is just treating her like dirt and they go i don't get it what what is happening right why is she with him i would treat her so much better you look at matthew broderick in this movie and you just think kelly preston got around anton and was just like oh my god just i i need to be fucked I just need somebody who's gonna just, you know, who's got some charisma to them, who's gonna excite me, because Matthew Broderick is the least exciting guy in the world in this movie. Yeah. Listeners, if you, I was listening, as soon as you pulled up um, The Nice Guy, I was just thinking, can James just watch one episode of You? Just one episode <laughs> have of to the check it out. Netflix show You. <laughs> Because this guy thinks he's a nice guy. He's a fucking psychopath. It's, a, yeah. it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that on the Jason <laughs> at all. Don't worry, guys. Um, Yeah. And as for when you brought up Keanu Reeves, I thought, are we ever going to... That movie you did with uh, Charlie's film Sweet November. Hmm. It's a little bit too silly in my... Uh, anyway. Yeah, sorry. I went on so many tangents there. 
everything you said 100% on point um i know we're just we're really digging in the weeds and we should probably get off this and we will but i i I just had to get this off my chest thank you james for helping me completely dissect this movie but i should end on saying this i do like this movie i know i've eviscerated it i know i've said all these critical things but i just feel like sometimes i have to come from the perspective of i understand why people don't like it and i can see why people don't like it but I think this is a good movie. I think this rises above a lot of the romantic comedies of the 90s. Has a great idea. Good cinematography. The music or the soundtrack, I should say, this time. Obviously, that song, Addicted to Love. I couldn't even play the trailer because we'll get dinged for copyright yeah. if I played that song. So, the soundtrack's fine. The, 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 I, I like this movie. It has a really good whole package. But I really think it's a really good choice for... Um, a, a reboot or remake or something but hey correct me if I'm wrong it's kind of a basic plot in a way except for the the bells and whistles so maybe someone could offer us an alternative to this movie which is everything that we want and more so please again reach out to us if we're incorrect and we don't know of a movie because there's millions of movies out there we might have missed one it's probably if there was one like this that was done in the way we want it probably is an indie movie so let us know a link will be in the description but yeah i like this movie i know that might not come across i do like this movie <laughs> i recommend it guys but yeah i just wanted to say everything about this movie i thought was lacking yeah the thing is i i, I like the movie too sometimes the movie is just a movie and it doesn't have to be great it could just be something that you watch and you're like that was enjoyable and then you never think of it again I completely agree with you that if Woody Allen in his prime had made this, probably not like late 90s Woody Allen, mm. but Woody Allen around the the mid-70s to early 80s had made this. And he had made it in a either a, a, a sillier way, like with uh, Bananas, or if he had made it in a slightly more serious way that like Annie Hall, this would have been, a. I think it would have fit in really well with his filmography. As it is, like I said, it's just sort of a, a minor movie that you watch, you enjoy it, and then you don't think about it again. Exactly. Thank you. That's exactly why I brought it up, James. So thank you for that. And with that, we are going to stop this discussion about this movie. James, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me on that. And yeah, I just love talking about movies, dissecting them, going further than I normally would. Because it's kind of, I know this sounds ridiculous, it's kind of my aim to put certain movies to bed in my mind. And that's part of my selfish reason for doing the podcast. Because I want to talk about these movies, dissect them in every way and lock it away and be like you know what i said my piece listen to that episode done and move on <laughs> that's one of my selfish reasons for doing a movie centered podcast but i love talking about these movies but yeah i don't see myself talking about this one again but guys what did you think of this movie have you even ever heard of it let us know in the comments down below um yeah it was such a great time such a crazy year i've loved doing this discussion with james and as I said to you, Jane, on the last recording, this is my one of three. Next year, we're starting the year with a movie. This is where we're going to start going a bit left, guys. Here, we're, Here's where I show my hipster side again. I showed <laughs> you a, a crowd-pleasing, everybody-knows-actors movie. Now we're going to... You know, I'm, I'm not even going to name the director. Ladies and gentlemen, next time, we're going to talk about a movie called I Am A Sex Addict. That's all. Now, if you search that, you're probably going to find porn. But no. <laughs> or, or, or a support group. Or yeah. Something. But no, there is a movie out there called I'm a Sex Addict that caught my attention in the late, is it the late 2000, 2009 or something? It's made by a director who is, I, I find a bit fascinating. And we're going to talk about him and maybe even more of his works next year in 2022 so stay tuned for that and you know what i'll make it easy for those who bother bother 
to look in the description. I'll put a link to it in the description. But for those of you who are too lazy, I'm not going to do that. So for also, if those of you who want to know what the movie is, I'll put a link in the description. But no more clues. James, where can the people find you if they want to find you? Uh, Manic-Expression.com and my books are all available on Amazon. You can find me at Planet Tyler on Twitter, but all of our links will be in the link tree, including our Patreon. If you enjoyed this discussion and you want to give us a tip, head on over to Patreon and do that if you feel like it. We appreciate it. If you don't, we're going to keep doing the show. But on that note, guys, we're going to leave you for the rest of the year. We're going to hope you stay safe with all this crazy flu-like shit going on in the world. Please stay safe. Continue joining us on this journey as we talk about film and other crazy things. And yeah, have a happy new year and a Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Seasons greetings, whatever you say. And uh, we'll see you on the next recording. <laughs>